the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. It's Friday, James. Yay. In fact, James is going to be joining us later in the program as we take a look at the lighter side of the news. In addition to that fun and frivolity, we're going to talk with uh, either Mark Hancock or David Benham of the Benham Brothers uh, on Trail Life's uh, family movie night that's coming up on Saturday. You need to register, but they're going to be showing the latest version of Pilgrim's Progress, and that's a family fair, of course, and we'll give you all the important details when one of the two of them joins us uh, later this hour. We'll also share our interview of the week with Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. The book is published by Regnery History, and that's coming up in the second hour of today's program. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Also want to remind you, if you're looking for something to stimulate your thinking over the weekend, consider No Safe Spaces, one of 2019's top-earning political documentaries and the number one political documentary on its uh, merits. It's now available to watch at home. Critics called it um, vital, urgent, smart, one of the most important documentaries that you need to see today. It tells the disturbing stories of how America is becoming a dangerous place for free speech. Um, but it manages to do it in an entertaining and powerful way. The film stars Dennis Prager, Adam Carolla, but also features Ben Shapiro, Jordan Peterson, Tim Allen, and personalities on the left like Van Jones, Cornell West, and Alan Dershowitz all on the same page on this subject. So you can check it out at nosafespaces.com and for a 25% discount, put in the discount code SAVE25 and uh, that $19.95 will simply be whittled away with that 25% discount, nosafespaces.com. Taking a look at some of the headlines, um, the House is uh, voting on the progressive-style spending bill today, although, from what I'm hearing, there are some defectors, and the Speaker of the House is having a difficult time uh, rallying her own troops. We'll find out later, perhaps in the day or perhaps this weekend, if she's successful. The White House chided Democrats for making certain undocumented immigrants were eligible for the second round of $1,200 direct payments for including a $25 billion bailout for the U.S. Postal Service and for funding vote-by-mail and same-day registration priorities. The Wall Street Journal's editorial board points out that it's in its vast scope and cost, the bill essentially attempts to replace the private economy crushed by the shutdown with government programs, old, new, and expanded. It uses the economic damage caused by the government shutdowns as an opening for a huge expansion of the welfare state that would keep millions of Americans on the government payroll until 2021, sort of developing an appetite for it and make the private recovery that much slower. Well, a group is suing Michigan's governor for the extended lockdown as citizens seek to get the economy back up and running. The mayor of Los Angeles said the city will never be completely opened until there is a cure and that's something different from even a vaccine. New York police handcuffed a young man in front of rather a young mom in front of her toddler for not wearing a mask properly. 
Apparently she was wearing one. It just wasn't being worn properly. From a terrific piece by Peggy Noonan, you can find that at National Review. She points out that New York police, um, rather the terrific, um, since the pandemic began, the overclass has been in charge. Scientists, doctors, political figures, consultants, calling the shots for the average people. But personally, they have less skin in the game. The National Institutes of Health scientists won't lose their livelihood over what's happened. Neither will the midday anchor. I've called this divide the protected versus the unprotected. There is an aspect of it uh, that is not much discussed, but bears a current uh, bears on current arguments. How you have experienced life has a lot to do with how you experience the pandemic and its strictures. I think it's fair to say citizens of red states have been pushing back harder than those in blue states. And Victor Davis Hansen writes, interest rates are low. Gas is as cheap as it's been in years. Inflation remains uh, moribund. People are tired of being housebound. They want to get back to work to make this and spend money. All that is missing is confidence or rather the conviction that the coronavirus is um, Uh, no more dangerous uh, than were the Axis powers and can be beaten far more quickly if we show the sort of will our grandparents did. Jim Garrity, writing for National Review, says, looks at the uh, good, the bad that has uh, transpired in the last eight weeks of lockdowns. We talked about that here yesterday. You can hear that on our podcast. Uh, And it's worth uh, considering some of the benefits that we have derived through this very difficult time. In other news, uh, Mr. Strassel says that attacks on uh, the Secretary of State Bill Barr, William Barr, uh, were designed to hide the truth. Kimberly Strassel says Mr. Barr's transparency threatens to reveal further that the Russian collusion narrative was pure fantasy, to puncture the self-righteousness of the likes of Mr. Comey and his scribes, to question the appropriateness of special counsel Robert Mueller's probe, and to expose how hatred of Donald Trump drove people people of power to break rules and destroy norms. Thus, the vicious campaign to undermine Mr. Barr's credibility, an operation that has now been joined not only by Democrats and the press, but also by the Justice Department's alumni and even the federal judge presiding over Mr. Flynn's case. Meanwhile, quite miraculously, the signal cut out just as James Clapper was asked about leaking classified information. Huh, serendipitous or not? Well, a judge in the trans athlete case is demanding attorneys refer to the male athletes in the case as female, even though they are biological males. The Alliance Defending Freedom attorney has requested the judge recuse himself. Just 15 percent of Democrats find uh, Tara Reid's allegations against Joe Biden credible, although most people haven't actually heard them. She's been pretty much frozen out of the mainstream media. The story also looks at the Democrats struggle with the Me Too movement. Uh, which is a direct contradiction to the response in this case. And charitable giving has hit record lows in the United States, and this is for people who have given in the past year. So that includes prior to the pandemic. So keep that in mind. If you are in a position to continue to give, uh, know that those charitable, charitable organizations desperately need your help because many of us are not in a position to continue giving. Major uh, One major league player says that he won't play baseball unless he gets his full pay. That's Tampa Bay pitcher Blake Snell, who says, I've got to get my money. I'm not playing unless I get mine. OK, and that's just the way it is for me. Like, I'm sorry you guys think differently, but the risk is uh, way expletive higher and the amount of money I'm making is way lower. Why would I think about doing that? apparently doing otherwise. Guy Benson, in response, says uh, his choice. But man, I wonder how these quotes will sit with, say, nurses, truckers, grocery store clerks and who are baseball fans. 
Hmm. Well, that's a good question. And Los Angeles uh, is bailing on efforts to help abused kids because knocking on doors could cause stress. So to minimize stress, you allow the abuse of children to continue, specifically stress to already marginalized communities, they argue. Oh, the choices that are being made. On this day in history, 2014, President Barack Obama dedicates the National September 11th Memorial and Museum deep beneath Ground Zero, calling it a symbol that says of America, nothing can ever break us. 1862, President Abraham Lincoln signs an act establishing the Department of Agriculture. 1930, registered nurse Ellen Church, the first airline stewardess, goes on duty aboard the Oakland to Chicago flight operated by Boeing Air Transport, a forerunner of United Airlines. 1988, the Soviet Union begins withdrawing its troops from Afghanistan more than eight years after Soviet forces entered the country. We still have troops there ourselves. 1991, President George Herbert Walker Bush takes Queen Elizabeth to a major league baseball game between the Baltimore Orioles and Oakland Athletics. Kind of wonder how much she enjoyed that or didn't. And finally, 2013, on this very day in history, an international team of scientists announces the first successful cloning of human cells. Hmm. And that's uh, some of the day's headlines. Well, Operation Warp Spread, President uh, predicted COVID-19 vaccine by the end of 2020 as he's asked and tasked the doctors to lead the White House vaccine initiative. He says he's confident they'll be able to deliver a few hundred million doses by or rather before 2021. President Trump uh, spoke from the White House about developments in the race to create a coronavirus vaccine and doubled down on his prediction that the U.S. will have a vaccine by the end of the year. The president detailed the Trump administration project dubbed Operation Warp Speed that will overlap studies of different candidates that are made differently and to act differently. Trump also announced Dr. Monsef Saloi, Uh, has been appointed to lead the White House initiative. The doctor uh, said during Friday's press conference that he's recently seen early data from a coronavirus vaccine trial that makes him feel confident we'll be able to deliver a few hundred of these vaccines at some point before the end of 2020. In an interview with Fox Business on Thursday, the president said that he would rapidly mobilize the U.S. military to distribute a vaccine once it's ready. And he said the focus would be on nursing homes, the elderly and the most vulnerable to the coronavirus. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll look at the lighter side of the news. And then we'll talk with uh, either Mark Hancock or David Benham uh, about uh, family night that's being hosted by trail life that and more when we return you're listening to the georgine rice show podcast is aired on 93.9 kpdq hey welcome back you're listening to the georgine rice show and we have made a decided right turn we are looking at the lighter side of the news and i say we because james blend oh yes that james blend has dropped everything to join us for the next couple of segments as we take a look at the lighter side of the news yo jimmy how are you I'm doing good, although I'm going, to, I'm going to have to pick all that up before my wife notices, otherwise I'm going to be in trouble. <laughs> You're probably in trouble anyway for any in, number in, of in, things. Infinitely so, especially on day 942 of our capture. <laughs> yeah, of our captivity. It does mm-hmm. feel a little bit like that, although I, I drove to Target the day before yesterday. First of all, I'm finished early enough in the day because we... For most days, yesterday was an exception. We're not broadcasting live, but I was free early enough that I drove to Target 
and I was roaming around the store with my mask in place. And it just seemed so surreal to me as I looked at my fellow uh, shoppers who are all appropriately socially distanced wearing their masks, how peculiar it was. It was bizarro for us all to be wearing masks and roaming around. And you could see as we would approach each other, if the perception was, eh, we're going to be a little too close, how we would uh, part from one another, you know, move just slightly to the right or to the left so that we'd have the appropriate distance between it. It just seemed so peculiar. I'm happy to do it for my sake and for the sake of others, but just a whole new experience when you're out in public with other people. You feel almost guilty when you're distancing from other people as if they should be crying out unclean uh, or they're, you know, have some dread disease, which of course we don't know we do or not. So anyway, just a very strange situation. I don't know if you've noticed this, but when you've been able to go out about even just a little bit and you kind of get a taste of that again, it is so hard to return to the quote unquote new normal of being in, you know, in your abode and, you know, essentially back trapped again. And so for yeah. me yesterday, having spent much of the day at the station, I really feel it today. I really feel the, oh, my escape didn't work out after all. I got sent back. <laughs> uh, you know, after being able to talk brief, uh, however briefly, socially distantly with a couple of our coworkers, including our, our, our traffic guy, Jeff, uh, who you hear, you know, at, at uh, every 15 minutes during the show. And, um, you know, I, it, it, you know, it's so nice being able to talk to additional people that I don't normally see. And, you know, the, the, the one difference between strangers and coworkers, especially ones you've worked with for a while, you know, the temptations are like, oh, man, I just want to give you a hug because you're in front of me <laughs> and you're real. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. that's not social distancing. So it's also probably not OK with HR. But that's beside the point. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> well, you it's know, still something some... on. the Yeah. You, you wish you could do because it's it's almost normalcy and you just want to grasp as hard as you can at it. Yeah. Well, you know, 31 Oregon counties uh, entered into phase one and there's a reopening in general of certain uh, places. So we're, we're beginning uh, to shift toward the new normal. And that's somewhat encouraging, but we'll just have to wait. Now, we could be in Singapore where officials are using robo dogs uh, to enforce social distancing in parks. They're remote controlled four legged machines uh, and they're warning park goers for your own safety and for those around you, please stand at least one meter apart. Thank you. A robo dog approaches you in the park. It's a four legged machine that says for your own safety and for those around you, please stand at least one meter apart. Thank you. Huh. What do you think? Robo dog barking orders. Well, I mean, you know. These days, better than a real dog. I don't have to clean up after it. <laughs> well, that's true. And I probably would be just as frightened by the robo dog as I am the real dog. So I'm not sure. They don't um, shed either, I would gonna hope. Help. That's true. Uh, the city state of 5.7 million people has more than 21,000 cases. One of the highest tallies in Asia, largely due to mass infections among migrant workers living in cramped dormitories in areas a little visited by tourists. So it's a serious problem there, and apparently they have the resources to dispatch robo-dogs. It sounds it like a Saturday by, morning uh, cartoon, robo-dogs. <laughs> it does. Uh, these four-legged machines were built by Boston Dynamics, first deployed in a central park on Friday as part of a two-week trial that could see uh, uh, other robots policing Singapore's green spaces during the nationwide lockdown. 
So what happens there could ultimately end up being something we see here, but I'm hoping not too soon. Or, of course, if you were in Manila, Philippines, they have Darth Vader enforcing the coronavirus uh, lockdown there in the, the villages. Local officials dressed up as Star Wars characters to enforce strict quarantine measures while also handing out relief packages. So it's Darth Vader and the Stormtrooper outfits that they're wearing made from rubber mats and old plastic. Um, and they're going through the neighborhoods uh, warning people. And it's quite frightening to see them. I mean, those outfits are a little intimidating, but going from house to house. Uh, first of all, intimidating and then handing out relief packages. So what do you think? Should we try that? Boy, I don't know. It kind of reminds me a little bit of what was going on a couple of weeks in Florida and several news reports I saw that uh, were when they're reporting from beaches that had reopened in Florida. Uh, there were, including one I believe was a lawyer, uh, but uh, various characters dressed up as um, the Grim Reaper. I did see that. I think I would prefer prefer Darth Vader. Yeah, I but mean, there's there's no scythe involved, so that's always a plus. But <laughs> yeah, really, of course, you know, a lightsaber probably is more damaging than a scythe. But you know, I'll take a sci-fi weapon over a uh, one I know can actually kill me any day. Yeah, without uh, the necess- necessity of power. Well, the Kentucky Derby, of course, has been canceled, as has you know so many have so many other uh, events. But Kentucky Derby fans can watch turtles race instead of horses this weekend the kentucky turtle derby will feature thoroughbreds like sir hides a bunch american Turunga, and uh, gallop a go in the field um, the first saturday in may has yielded to the legs of a bunch of slow pokes seattle's slow headlines a field of turtles yes turtles that will race in the kentucky turtle derby call it the slowest eight minutes in sports Uh, The race is more methodical. It's a marathon uh, than a mad dash to the finish line, though the victor can win at at the line by a a turtleneck rather than a nose. And it's just one more offbeat sport that's had a moment during the coronavirus pandemic. The Derby apparently is America's longest continuously held sporting event. It's been scheduled, uh, had been scheduled rather for May the 2nd. Um, It's now going to be run on September the 5th by faith. Kicking off Labor Day weekend, it's the first time the Derby won't be held on its traditional first Saturday in May since 1945, when it was run on the 9th of June. Um, So in the meantime, the Kentucky Turkey Derby was hatched and uh, will be run. 167 turtles arrived for races on Saturday, and about 6,500 fans filled the Jefferson County Armory for the 8 p.m. post time. The event went down like Uh, This, 20 turtles were herded into seven qualifying races, and the winners went on to compete in a 20-foot finale. Now, by the way, that was from 1945. The Courier-Journal, the Kentucky Derby Museum, reported that um, Broken Spring paid $2.50 on his win of uh, $8,000 raised for a local children's health concern. So now it will be done with technology allowing you to look on. But back then, in 1945, they apparently did the same for other reasons. Kentucky Turtle Derby. I think I'll stay home. Yeah, it's just not the same. And I don't like horses, and I'm still not the same. (laughs) You know, so much is not the same. Um, Kids graduating in ways that they never imagined. They don't have the opportunity to walk with their cap and gown. They're not with their peers. There aren't the usual celebrations and so on. One Florida principal 
lined his high school's driveway with 2020 class photos, um, recalling these uh, high school seniors with the coronavirus, preventing them from coming together. They didn't have traditions like proms or graduations. The high school uh, building uh, there in that community was closed, as are all schools mostly across the country. They're missing a lot of the memorable moments that we all hold near and dear to our hearts throughout our whole lives, the uh, principal said. Determined, he uh, reached out to a photographer who took the 12th grader senior portraits and had the the, uh, photos enlarged and printed to line both sides of the school's scenic driveway. The display has become quite a local attraction, and it uh, honors the students in ways that you know, they won't be able to be honored um, this year with their usual events. So good for them. Well, a teacher friend of mine uh, today at from one to two or something like that, she and her fellow teachers met at the school, appropriately socially distanced. They're decorating their vehicles and they are driving around the neighborhood where their students uh, live and are putting on something of a parade for those students to just wave, say, hi, we we know you're here, we're thinking about you, you know, it's just kind of a nice gesture for uh, teachers to connect with their students in a little more of a tangible way than those video conferences that now replace classroom learning. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll return to take a look at some more light news. Also, David um, Benham, we've now learned of the Benham Brothers and best-selling author of Whatever the Cost and Living Among the Lions. He's going to be the MC of the Trail Life Family Movie Night that's coming up tomorrow night. We'll give you all the important details so you can register and enjoy Pilgrim's Progress and some great music as well. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the Friday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. We're taking a look at some of the lighter side of the news. And I say we because James Blend is piping in from time to time on this relatively fun Friday. Relatively. Did you know that Sunday is World Baking Day? It's not like you need more excuses to bake because there's lots of trending recipe on uh, trending recipes rather on the internet these days, but Sunday is World Baking Day, so this weekend instead of going the expected route and using TikTok as your inspiration or some other site, you might want to try a turn of the century recipe. And don't worry, none of them use yeast or even much dairy or sugar because these days in the 21st century we're quite sensitive. Well, the recipes were shared um by the National World War I Museum and Memorials Warfare Exhibit, specifically from the 1918 Win the War in the Kitchen cookbook that urged cooks to get more creative by using less dairy, fats, and sugars as a way to voluntarily help the war effort and save food during the war. Now, um, if you want to put your best early 20th century apron on and get sifting, Uh, It's a rather interesting recipe. Now, if you're a savory chef attempting to jump onto the baking bandwagon, Liberty Bread might be a good starting point for you. That's one of the recipes in this um, old book. Liberty Bread uh, takes about a cup and a half of white flour, cup of cornmeal, one half cup of bran, six teaspoons of baking powder, a teaspoon of salt, one and a half cups of liquid. doesn't say what kind, but this is during the war. Two tablespoons of fat. Say what kind, whatever kind you can get your hands on, and one egg. Well, you put them all together. You bake it um, in a moderate oven, it says, uh, 350 to 375 degrees today, about 40 minutes. Meanwhile, if you like your baked goods, sweet uh, and honey, good old-fashioned cupcakes will um, also be on the in the recipe. They're coconut spice cupcakes. A moderate oven. I don't find it all that important to know my 
ovens politics. <laughs> yeah, bipartisan, apolitical, I, I don't know. Well, if coconut is not your favorite, the recipe comes with other flavor options like bean cupcakes and raisin cupcakes. I'm not sure about bean cupcakes. Uh, but in this recipe, let's see, coconut spice cupcakes, two cups of flour, um, white flour, one and three quarters cups of rye or barley flour. I don't know if I've ever had a cupcake with either of those. Ginger, cloves, cinnamon, salt, soda, coconut, corn syrup, molasses, and boiling water. Now, these are apparently things you could get at the time, even though there was rationing. Uh, one half cup of hard fat. That means you probably don't have butter. It might be lard or something else. And two eggs. You put the ingredients together. Uh, and um, if the coconut isn't your favorite, the recipe comes with alternative bygone era substitutions. As I mentioned, bean cupcake and raisin cupcake. It doesn't say much about the, um, the oven, but it does say add the remainder of the dry ingredients to the wet and the coconut. Pour into cupcake pans and bake in a moderate oven, once again, for about uh, 25 Minutes. Just try and make sure to follow the antique recipe closely. You don't want to wind up on uh, the baking failures on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere else. But uh, Sunday is World Baking Day, and it's rather interesting to look at these recipes from the National World War I Museum and Memorial, where rationing was uh, necessary and all the stuff that you are used to having these days just wasn't available. And then there is an Internet sensation, Chef Colby. Chef Kobe is uh, one years one year old. He's the Internet's newest favorite celebrity chef. He's stuck at home with his family. If you don't know how to cook, this professional chef is here to help. Now, if Kobe, uh, Chef Kobe didn't cook it, you may not want to eat it. The one-year-old chef with a penchant for um, dribbling all over his workplace has become an Instagram culinary hero, following in the footsteps of uh, such greats as the guy who just figured out how the, the correct way to use a vegetable peeler or the woman who yanks tendons out of a chicken breast. So there you have it. What sets this little chef apart from the others is his ability to follow through and actually cook an entire meal with the help of his mom or dad. His 700,000 Instagram followers can't seem to get enough either at, uh, uh, at least judging by the one million views he's earned for his Mother's Day post. It's a little one-year-old dribbling on his um, food, entertaining the masses. I could do that. Yeah, the dribbling on the food part, somehow with one-year-old Chef Kobe, it's one thing. The mature James Blend dribbling on his food, uh, that might not be quite as entertaining. I'm just saying. Thank you for being the first person to ever refer to me as the mature James Blend. <laughs> that I is a first, and I thank you for it. Numerical terms only. Numerical terms, let me clarify. Oh, well, hey, I got to I got to enjoy this. This is my last week of my current year starting today. That's right. You've got a birthday coming up. I do. Yeah, you do. Old man. I feel every day of it, too. <laughs> if the NFL you. games don't have spectators, apparently Fox is considering adding CGI fans and crowd noises to their broadcasts. Now, is that going to make it a little more interesting or not? What do you think? Well, I've been watching some uh, Korean baseball at night, uh, obviously from South Korea, and uh, they they pipe in some crowd noise, not specific crowd noise. To the, you know, it's more like murmuring and stuff to sound like there's people around and some you know, random cheers here and there. Um, and it does make it sound less empty. And there are a couple of stadiums that what they're doing in, in both, uh, both uh, uh, Korea and uh, Taiwan where they're playing sports, 
specifically baseball, they do have um, they have cardboard fans in some of the seats. Yeah, I've with seen picture, that. With pictures of actual fans on them. Um, I I saw a game with that, and I found it tremendously distracting as a viewer. <laughs> uh, because the the um, the dimensions just weren't quite right. Uh, they were kind of you know from the uh, the waist up, and so they were the proportions were out of whack. And so I'm like, oh, who are these odd shaped? Oh, that's right, they're cardboard. Um, so it was it was I found it more distracting as a viewer. I don't know how the players felt about it, but I you know I I don't know about CGI fans. That seems to be taking it a bit too far, but. Uh, yeah, a little crowd noise. I don't have a problem with it. Makes it sound uh, a little less odd. Yeah, probably. I mean, how do you modify the crowd noise? It's not just a matter of you know a group, you know, kind of murmuring amongst themselves. But if there's a really incredible play, uh, are they going to be able to elevate the volume? How are they going to do that in a way that's convincing? They're not doing and that in Korea. Yeah, and will they be able to uh, add that to what the players hear? Because I would think. But that's an inspiration to them. I know when I was a runner, having a, an audience, having a crowd there really spurred you on to greatness in ways that was beyond your training. So I wonder how this is all going to work, uh, says um, one of the uh, uh, Cohen um, Buck says that on top of that, they're looking at uh, ways to put virtual fans in the stand. So when you see a wide shot, it looks like the stadium is jam packed. And in fact, it's it's empty. So for the sake of viewers. Uh, they want to put the CGI fans in the seats as well. So it's it's a new era, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how they satisfy the desire of um, viewers by giving us the impression that there are actually people there watching games when, in fact, there aren't. Well, I mean, you know, if the major league owners and players can't get together, they might as well work on CGI players, too. <laughs> that might be might, might be, be the, the only way to get to some do. games. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just learned that dogs actually go through teenage uh, a teenage phase uh, when they hit puberty. Now, I would think, uh, according to this new study, I would think having children going through these uh, stages would be sufficient. But a new study from a group of UK universities suggests that dogs do act similarly to human teenagers when they reach puberty. And although none of the dogs were caught breaking curfew. Uh, smoking in the bathroom, they were more likely to ignore their owners and they became harder to train according to research. So if you're trying to train a dog, you might want to do it before or after the teenage years. The researchers examined 69 dogs before adolescence at five months old and uh, then again during puberty at about eight months old and discovered uh, these dogs are very similar uh, to their teenage uh, friends. They do show a period, they say, uh, evidence that the dogs have a period of reduced obedience toward their owners, and this is specific to their owners, not to other people. So as a teenager might reject their parents, uh, these dogs, these pubescent dogs are ignoring their owners as well. That, kind of an, that does explain, <laughs> that explains the uh, Sharpay that I saw with a mohawk and tattoos the other day in the park. <laughs> Yeah, it probably does. Hey, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with David Benham of the Benham Brothers and also best-selling author of Whatever the Cost and Living Among the Lions. He's going to MC Saturday night's Trail Life Family Movie Night. We'll tell you all about it and how you can sign on. It's free, but you do need to register. And I put the information on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page, but we'll also talk about it in just a few moments. You are listening to the Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 
Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as I mentioned uh, earlier this week, this Saturday, Trail Life USA, which is the Christian scouting program for boys with some 830 troops, they're hosting a family movie night for lockdown-weary American families. Already 12,000 families have registered, and we want to make sure that you are in on this great opportunity to see The Pilgrim's Progress. It's the animated film produced by Revelation Media that tells the story of one of man's perilous and adventurous journey to reach heaven. It's, of course, based on the classic novel written by John Bunyan, the second best-selling book of all time, surpassed only by the Bible. There's going to be an opportunity to hear from gospel music artists Keith and Kristen Getty, and David Benham is going to be the uh, the MC. That's David Benham of the Benham Brothers, the best-selling co-author of Whatever the Cost and Living Among Lions. And uh, we have David with us today to talk about this opportunity for families all across the Fruited Plain. David Benham, what an honor to have you on the program. Welcome. Thank you, Georgine. It's an honor for me to be with you. Well, let me ask you about this uh, this opportunity for families. I know for many, the creativity might be running a little thin because we've been at this sheltering in place for a, a little while now. Um, why Trail Life uh, provide this opportunity for families to have a little fun? Well, I'll tell you, you know, we're all in this together, Georgie. I've got five kids <laughs> myself from 20 down to 10. And, uh, and when they came, when Trail Life said, hey, let's do a camp out night and do a movie night at the exact same time, Partnering with Pilgrim's Progress, there couldn't be a better synergy between the two. Uh, Pilgrim's Progress, as a matter of fact, is my favorite book outside of the Bible. Mm. I've read it multiple times. Uh, As a matter of fact, I I read it to my kids as they were younger, and it's one of their favorite books. It's probably their most favorite book. And then when the movie came out, it was just so fun. So Trail Life, uh, coming together, doing this, it's just such an exciting time. And I'll tell you, 12,000 families, they signed up so fast. Uh, it's, it just goes to show that we really need a moment like this. Oh, absolutely. Now, I don't want to assume that all of our listeners are familiar with Trail Life. We've talked about Trail Life USA here before, but I want to make sure that our listeners are familiar with this scouting program with a Christian core. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, most, most of us realize and we recognize what's happening to the culture around us and yes. things are shifting very quickly. And when the Boy Scouts Excuse me, I'm not even allowed to say the word boy scouts. Uh, I'm sorry about that. But anyway, Scouts USA, (laughs) they changed uh, the core of what it means to be a scout. And I remember my heart, I was grieved, wondering, what are we going to do? And then I heard about trail life. And I'll tell you, the the Bible, it's uh, Christ-centered. It's got adventure, leadership, character development. it It is an excellent organization. And over 800 chapters, and they're growing exponentially. It's really exciting what's happening with Trail Life. And then to partner with Pilgrim's Progress is, is like I said earlier, it's just a great synergy together. It's an amazing organization. I would encourage anyone. You can go to traillifeusa.com and just find out all about them. They have excellent uh, scout leaders, and they have, I mean, everything that you would need to get your young man to transition from boyhood into manhood and help you in that journey, which all of us parents need help. Yeah. Trail Life is an excellent organization. Yeah, I've had uh, the opportunity to talk with Mark Hancock, who's the CEO of Trail Life, a couple of times. And it's it's uh, such a, a needed organization, particularly at this time, that parents can entrust their boys and young men to, to get the kind of uh, training that they need. Now, um, for folks who are interested in participating in this family movie night, knowing that they are 
uh, joining with families all across the country. You need to go to traillifeusa.com slash backyard and register. This is a free event, but you do need to register. And uh, again, you're going to be one of thousands of families across the country who are enjoying this really well done animated version of the Pilgrim's Progress. And just to really to be challenged to consider the, the challenges of, of the walk of yeah. faith. Now, you've decided that you're going to emcee this event. Um, you have, a, as you mentioned, what, 10 years old to 20 in your household. Yeah. Are you all yeah. going to be watching as well? We will be watching it. And as a matter of fact, when, when the people register, uh, you can sign up and uh, that puts you in the running for, for a free DVD or even some Pilgrim, Pilgrim's Progress coins which my 10-year-old got, and he absolutely loves them. They're sitting in his locker at home. Uh, but, yes, I mean, it's, it's just a great opportunity. We'll be watching it. My brother, his family uh, will be watching it. It's a, it's a wonderful, and I've seen it before. It is a fantastic movie, and I'm just so thankful. When we're watching it together with other families that we know around the country that are either camping out in their backyard or setting up a fort in their living room, whatever it may be, let's just make it fun. We're doing it together. We'll be united in spirit as we watch the movie. Yeah, absolutely. And again, that's coming up this Saturday night. Now, let me get a clarification on the time. Is it going to be at 845 in every time zone? So we here in the Pacific Northwest will see it at 845. But families on the East Coast are also going to see it in their time at 845. Is that correct? Now, I believe so. But you asked me a technical question. and I'm not a technical <laughs> guy. But, you know, TrailLifeUSA.com forward slash backyard. And they'll have all the time zones in there. But I believe it will be that way. Yeah, the wording I got was the live stream will begin at 845 in each American time zone and will feature uh, Keith and Kristen Getty, the Pilgrim's Progress movie. And, of course, David Benham uh, will be emceeing all of this. So you can check that out at the website. Again, traillifeusa.com slash backyard. Even if you don't put the backyard in, I'm sure they can get you to where you need to be. To join with 12,000 other families who are registered to watch the Pilgrim's Progress in this event uh, together all across the country. I love that we are separated, but we can do something together and be edified and encouraged and um, our hearts knit together as families um, as well. Now, let me ask you, David, how are you and your family, what five kids, how are you all uh, faring during this pandemic, sheltering in place? Oh, you know, yeah, we're we're doing great. I got two home from college, and then the other three. We've homeschooled for 15 years, so uh, this was our first year that the kids were actually in school in a private Christian school here locally, and so we just pivoted right back to homeschooling, and we finished that up last week, and so we're loading them up with chores, loading them up with jobs. <laughs> That's one thing we found very quickly. If these kids aren't working, they're gonna. It's gonna be very very long time, but. Uh, also, you know, I we do a lot of pro-life ministry, and uh, I, I'm sure you probably heard I happen to be arrested out in front of an abortion clinic yes. just for simply being there and praying. And, uh, you know, it, the, the city of Charlotte knew they arrested me unlawfully. That was, you know, I hate to say it was exciting. I'd never been arrested before, but I knew it was for the cause of Christ and for the unborn. And so it was actually kind of exciting for our family. And so we ran, we went through all of that, and now we're out on the other side of the city of Charlotte, and the police department has actually backed off of that because they recognized, you know what, we did wrong. They didn't admit it yet. Uh, uh, soon they will when the Alliance Defending Freedom uh, finds them in court. But mm-hmm. uh, anyway, it's, it's been an exciting time. It wasn't something that I was planning for, but uh, during this COVID time, we're just very excited that we've, been, we've had a chance as a family to be together, and we're really looking forward to this Pilgrim's Progress Night with Trail Life. 
Yeah, it's going to be really, really fun. Again, that's coming up this Saturday, and you can register, and you must be registered to take advantage of this free event, uh, traillifeusa.com slash backyard. You can also go to the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page, and I have a link to uh, Trail Life USA there. But you do need to register, and you can join with families from all across the country as we share this experience together, even though we are socially distanced. Well, David Benham, let me just say how much I appreciate your commitment to um, causes that reflect the the cause of Christ, and um, I've enjoyed your your books and just you and your brother and your integrity. And I'm I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to speak with you, and thankful that you are going to be a part of this great family event coming up Saturday night. It is my honor, Georgine. Thank you for having me. Thank you, and take uh, take care of yourself. Have a good Saturday night. All right, you too. <laughs> Thank you. Again, David Benham of the Benham Brothers and best-selling author, co-author of Whatever the Cost and Living Among the Lions, MC of the Trail Life Family uh, movie night that's coming up this Saturday. And again, families from all across the Fruited Plain are going to be a part of that. Gospel music artists Keith and Kristen Getty, best known for their modern hymn, In Christ Alone. They're going to kick it all off with an online musical performance streamed live into the backyards of families all across the nation or here in the Pacific Northwest, who knows what the weather's going to be like, maybe in your living room with your tent set up. Then the Pilgrim's Progress movie, the animated film production by Revelation Media that tells the story of one man's perilous and adventurous journey to reach heaven. Now, some of you have read the book, others of you not yet. Maybe your kids, this will be their first introduction. It's very well done. And of course, it's based on the classic novel written by John Bunyan, the second best-selling book of all time, surpassed only by the Bible. And then, of course, David Benham of the Benham Brothers is going to emcee this event. My guess is you might hear from Mark Hancock, the CEO of Trail Life as well, uh, but this is going to be a, a great uh, a great evening. Again, register at traillifeusa.com slash backyard. You'll get a free movie link and also find camping tips, outdoor recipes, activity ideas contributing uh, con- uh, contributed by rather thousands of Trail Life USA volunteers across the country. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour. Then we'll return with some of the day's headlines and our interview of the week. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Welcome to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Glad to have you with us. Coming up this hour, we'll share our interview of the week with Scott Rank, history's nine most insane rulers. You might not be able to guess who they are, but that's coming up later this hour. First, a return to some of the day's headlines. Well, as I mentioned in the first hour, Operation Warp Speed. That's what the president is uh, calling his efforts to develop a vaccine by the end of 2020. The president spoke from the White House on Friday about developments in the race to create a coronavirus vaccine and doubled down on his prediction that the U.S. will have a vaccine by the end of the year. He also introduced those who would be on that team uh, for that effort. Both civilian and military personnel would be part of, uh, of that effort. Well, several Democrats are bucking their party and voting against Speaker Nancy Pelosi's $3 trillion coronavirus relief bill in the House on Friday. Some moderate members in swing districts, including Representative Abigail Spanberger of Virginia, Joe Cunningham of South Carolina, Kendra Horn of Oklahoma, and Cindy Axon in uh, Iowa, ripped the massive measure as a one-sided partisan bill that is going nowhere. And there's resistance in the most liberal wing of the party, too, where some say that $3 trillion measure isn't big enough. Representative Pramila Jayapal, a leader of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, said her no vote was difficult 
but the bill fell short of ensuring Americans continued to get paychecks and had access to health care. At least one Republican, Representative Peter King, is bucking the GOP and supporting the legislation that will give nearly $1 trillion to state and local governments reeling from coronavirus budget holes. The Democratic Party defectors first appeared during a vote on Friday morning when 14 Democrats voted against their party on a procedural resolution, including moderates, progressives, and liberal freshman squad representatives uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, Rashida Tlaib, and Ayanna Presley. In Oregon, it continues uh, to flatten the curve, and Oregon counties have entered phase one of the reopening. Uh, 137 deaths, that's the total in Oregon thus far, through 3,479 cases. In Washington, the number of deaths, 983, with 17,773 cases thus far. Well, the owner of a Salem salon that reopened last week in defense of Governor Kate Brown's rather defiance of her stay-at-home order has been fined $14,000. Two motel owners in Pacific City are suing Tillamook County, saying coronavirus restrictions that stopped their business from fully operating in the last two months violate their constitutional rights. And having a COVID-19 vaccine by January is a stretch goal, but the head of the National Institutes of Health is gearing up for a master experiment to rapidly tell if any really work. All Oregon stores can open to shoppers again today as long as they aren't in a mall and they follow state COVID-19 health guidelines. Yesterday, Governor Brown and the Oregon Health Authority gave the go-ahead to 31 of 33 counties that applied to enter phase one of the state's reopening plan. And the three Portland metropolitan area counties, Clackamas, Washington and Multnomah counties, may be weeks away from applying for that status. Two counties, Marion and Polk, were told not to put their reopening plans on hold. Another 14,100 Oregonians filed initial claims for unemployment benefits during the week of May the 3rd through the 9th. The new initial claims, 396,000 Oregonians have applied for unemployment since the coronavirus pandemic prompted business closures in mid-March. Most counties have taken their first steps toward reopening in the state of Oregon. Retail stores statewide can reopen with uh, new safety standards. Today, uh, they will uh, look to businesses that remain open for examples on how to operate. Fitness centers are also adapting to new safety guidelines. Some casinos will take temperature checks of patrons and employees as they enter reopening. Almost one in five Oregon workers has filed for jobless claims since the coronavirus outbreak began. Over the same time, the number of Oregonians applying for help to pay for food has exploded to more than 40-fold. A Washington woman who spent one month on a special life support machine after she contracted coronavirus left OHSU Hospital. She was among the first coronavirus patients the hospital treated. This is, uh, this is out there, warns doctor, uh, um, the doctor treating Oregon's first case of childhood disease linked to coronavirus, warning parents to be vigilant. Uh, Some counties approved to reopen are still short of the governor's initial staffing requirement for contact tracers to limit the spread of the coronavirus. The Oregon Health Authority on Thursday reported three new deaths from the new coronavirus as the state's coronavirus caseload climbed to 3,479. And a young person in custody in McLaren Youth Correctional Facility in Woodburn has tested positive for COVID-19, becoming the first patient sickened by coronavirus at an Oregon juvenile correctional facility. Filings in a federal courthouse uh, case 
Say inmates at the state's adult prisons worry that they will be transferred or lose privileges if they test positive for coronavirus. Again, untested waters that are being navigated there. The Portland nursing home with the state's deadliest coronavirus outbreak now faces a $1.8 million lawsuit in response to one resident's COVID-19 death. Two Pacific City motels, as I mentioned, sued in Tillamook County, alleging the county's ban has ruined their businesses. And... uh, more people are hopping on TriMet buses and trains, according to ridership figures that show ridership is up for the second consecutive week. Huh. Bird and Lime e-scooters are also returning to Portland. Oregon's ban on large gatherings through September ended organizers' hopes of staging uh, Feast Portland. Bend Brewfest planners have also called off this year's festival, as has virtually every other festival planned for this summer. And as coronavirus threatens school budgets, more districts are turning to pay cut free furloughs. Following the lead uh, of Portland, the furloughs are covered by unemployment insurance programs if they ever actually get it. Here's an interesting uh, story. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention has recommended wearing masks in public settings to slow the spread of the coronavirus pandemic. And a new study suggests that cases of COVID-19 could be cut significantly if 80 percent 80% of people heeded this advice. The research, published by a group of international experts, created a model that shows the cases could be cut significantly if near-universal masking is adopted. Universal masking at 80% adoption flattened the curve significantly more than maintaining a strict lockdown. Uh, Researchers wrote uh, in this study, which uh, has not yet been peer-reviewed, Masking at only 50% adoption is not sufficient to prevent continued spread, the researchers went on to say, replacing the strict lockdown with social distancing on the 31st of May without masking results in unchecked spread. So distancing without masks, not quite as effective, uh, they say. But with unemployment claims surging to unprecedented levels amid the lockdown measures, and meant uh, that are meant to stem the coronavirus spread, states are struggling to process all the claims flooding their systems, leaving many who are out of work or furloughed still without access to aid, despite lawmakers all along touting their efforts to support hard-hit families. In Maryland, for example, an updated online portal struggled to uh, speed up the processing of claims and was plagued by errors, according to one representative there who wrote a scathing op-ed in the Baltimore Sun earlier this month, claiming that more than 100,000 residents still could not file as of last week for unemployment, and barely half of those who have successfully applied for unemployment since the 15th of March have received their benefits. Now, this is a challenge for uh, many states, including the state of Oregon. The governor has uh, apologized more than once uh, for the sluggish, inadequate system, outdated as well. A press release from uh, the lawmaker in Maryland this week indicates that just 36 percent of Marylanders who filed initial unemployment claims in March and April received payments. In New Jersey, a group of leaders there in the state Senate sent a letter to the governor, a state's labor commissioner, asking for any way the legislature could help reduce the state's backlog. Congress expanded the unemployment aid program, tacked on an additional $600 per week for several months in the recent coronavirus relief package. These are provisions House Democrats are now trying to extend uh, to others in their latest bill, but some have yet to receive that uh, payment either because of logistical problems. So this is a challenge for states all across the Fruited Plain as the numbers of uh, individuals who are seeking unemployment benefits has uh, surged as uh, in ways that we haven't seen for quite some time. By the way, if you haven't received your stimulus check, 
um, if and if you qualify, the IRS does have a link that can help you determine what you need to do to make sure you get the check that you are entitled to. So go to the IRS uh, website and uh, they may have incorrect um, bank information. There are delays from uh, tax prep services. If you had your uh, taxes filed by a uh, tax preparation uh, service and so on, if the amount is wrong, all those details can be found on that IRS website. So check that out. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll share our interview of the week with Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, published by Regnery History. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, I have to tell you, Americans, as my next guest points out in his new book, have no idea what it's what it is to have a truly psychotic leader. Now, some might <laughs> question that, uh, like North Korea's Kim Jong-un or Iraq Saddam Hussein, um, who could be put on the level of mentally ill. But how do they compare to leaders in the past who took psychotic um, activity to a whole different level? Well, my guest, Scott Rank, is the host of the popular podcast History Unplugged. He puts madness into perspective by presenting the world's most unbelievably deranged leaders and their all-consuming addiction to power in history's nine most insane rulers. Now, can the insane rule? Can insanity be a leadership quality? Well, he takes a fascinating look at nine of history's most notorious rulers, from the Roman emperor Caligula to North Korean communist dictator Kim Jong-il, rather, uh, he paints an intimate portraits of these deeply flawed but powerful men, examining the role that madness played in their lives, the repercussions of their madness on history, and what their madness can tell us about the times in which we live. Well, my guest, Scott Rank, is the author of 12 books, including The Age of Illumination, Science, Technology, and the Reason in the Middle Ages, Lost Civilizations, and Off the Edge of the Map, Travelers and Explorers that Push the Boundaries of the Known World. His books have been translated into nine languages. He's an historian of the Ottoman Empire in modern Turkey. He is a professor and a podcaster. He currently hosts History Unplugged, one of the most popular history podcasts today. He lives in Kansas City with his family, probably more closely now than ever before, and joins us to talk about his fascinating book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. Scott Rank, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, Georgine. I appreciate it. This is so fascinating to me. Uh, first of all, how you selected the individuals you highlight, the nine that made the, that made the cut, and what we might learn um, in our own day when we loosely use words like insanity and, and so on. Uh, so first of all, let me ask you, what motivated you to write this book? And did the time we're living in right now in our current spate of leaders inspire you in any way? Yeah, it partially did. Uh, I think what caused it is in 2020 with the presidential election coming up, I think this issue of our politicians and uh, mental illness or even insanity will come up where people on the left might say uh, Donald Trump has narcissistic personality disorder or people on the right would say Joe Biden has dementia. But if you're comparing them to truly insane rulers in the past, like you said, imagine if Joe Exotic from Tiger King were your emperor. And we actually had cases like that in the past where someone who was a recent president had an 80 foot tall golden statue of himself that rotated to face the sun. So I get it. Our politicians today are eccentric. They say strange things on Twitter, but I want to at least give a little perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, that people like that can come across, but at least understand what has happened before. 
Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's just give our listeners an opportunity to hear the names of those who made the list, the nine most insane leaders. Who are they? Yeah, a quick rundown is uh, Emperor Caligula of Rome, Charles VI of France, thought he was made of glass, Ivan the Terrible, uh, and Ottoman Sultan Ibrahim, George III of American Revolution infamy, uh, Ludwig II, who uh, built Nishwanstein, the Disney World Castle, uh, Idi Amin of Uganda, uh, Turkmenistan President uh, Turkmenbashi, who had that tall golden statue, and Kim Jong-il, as you mentioned. Now, was it difficult for you to narrow it down to nine? Were there others that... Uh, that might have otherwise made the list, but you were limited in space and time? Or is this really the, the cream of the crop, if you will? Yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> the sad thing is there are a lot of people to choose from. Uh, Adolf Hitler, he's not in the book. Joseph Stalin isn't. They ha- people ask me about that. The sad thing is those who killed thousands or millions of their own people, we have a lot of cases of that in the past. Um, what I was looking at was someone who meets uh, the legal definition mm-hmm. of insanity, that they can't determine um, what's real, what's not real, and um, that affects their actions. It's not just struggling with mental illness. That is, obviously doesn't make someone a bad person. And you have the great leaders in history struggled, like Abraham Lincoln with depression. It's how they acted and how their lack of impulse control and lack of any type of governors on their behavior made them just do terrible things. Yeah, and I, I appreciate you're making a distinction between um, clinical insanity and just evil actions. Um, because there is a there is a difference and a gulf between the two. Early in the book, you write that being mad was perhaps the most appropriate way to rule in mad times. Rulers who were mad, by our definition, could actually have been responding to the most reason uh, responding in the most reasonable way in their circumstances. They faced challenges that were unimaginable today. Explain that statement in light of these nine. Right and. This is something that I always try to understand with history, that conditions were very different, so we need to understand if people seem to do or say things that seem strange. One example of that is Ivan, we call him the terrible of Russia, and he's called the great in his homeland. And um, he lived in the 1500s, killed tens, maybe hundreds of thousands, many of his own countrymen, because he thought that they were possibly going to side with the enemy. Now, part of the reason that I mean, if you want to explain and understand it, he lived um, in a time not too far away from the era of Genghis Khan um, when millions were killed, and he was working on securing his borders and making sure that slave raids didn't come in and capture his own citizens. So he was working very hard to secure his borders. You can definitely argue with what he did and whether he became terrible, but the fact that people call him great means there are those who argue that what he did in his own times was justifiable. And that's definitely a good argument, but you know we don't live in those times, thankfully, so we don't have to think about doing what people did in the past. Yeah, and I appreciate that you give us some context, because that does help us to have a better understanding of the history of these individuals, not just the history that they, uh, that they made. Who do you think was the most insane ruler in history, if it's possible to narrow it down to one? Yeah, it's, uh, I think the argument can be made for anyone, but... Um, one of my favorite, if you can call that, was the president of uh, recent president Turkmenistan, Akbar Turkmenbashi, who ruled from the early 90s until the mid 2000s, and he almost outdid Joseph Stalin with self-promotion. He had the posters of himself, statues of himself in town squares. He had that 80-foot-tall golden statue of himself I was talking about. He also had a holy book that he wrote himself, even though he wasn't completely literate. 
And he claimed that God had appeared to him in a dream and said, anyone who reads this three times will get into heaven. And the strangest thing about him is that he doesn't, he doesn't seem cynical. He seems to really believe what he's saying. And he seemed to think that he was doing a good thing for the people of Turkmenistan by giving them a national hero. And I should also mention he renamed the days of the week and months of the year after himself and his mother and even an asteroid, too. But he thought he was helping people by doing this. Why do you think so many powerful rulers have been insane? I mean, truly insane. Is there a connection between power and insanity? Well, um, sometimes it's genetic. People like George III uh, may have had a blood disease. Maybe mm-hmm. they grew up in traumatic situations. Um, but the best I can argue is if we look at someone like a celebrity and think that they live in a delusional bubble and they're cut off from real circumstances, imagine if a celebrity had the power to had a goon squad and could take someone out if they wanted to. You're isolated from self-criticism from others for years or even decades And if you're somebody like that who doesn't hear criticism, then you get a Muammar Gaddafi or Fidel Castro who will stand up in front of the United Nations and speak for five hours, who will claim like Kim Jong-il that the first time I golfed, I shot 38 under par. And if you already say that, people would laugh at us and they should laugh at us because it's ridiculous. But if nobody can criticize you for fear of their lives and you live in that bubble for years or decades, I think that can lead to the levels of delusion that I saw. Yeah, in fact, that raises the question, how did psychotic, narcissistic, schizophrenic uh, leaders stay in power? Now, we live in a constitutional republic. We elect our leaders. But how did these individuals manage to stay in power? And you sort of hinted at that. Was it even possible to remove them if you'd come to the conclusion that they were, in fact, insane? Right. I mean, we wonder, why didn't people get rid of them? And we can have impeachment trials. We can do all these things in the United States, votes of no confidence in parliament. Oddly enough, it seems that if you're going to be, it's better to be completely delusional than mildly delusional because you can purge people who pose any threat to you. Joseph Stalin did this a lot in the past. Idi Amin in Uganda, one of the first things he did when he became leader of Uganda in the 60s or early 70s was to liquidate opposition. But then he didn't stop there. He went to basically anyone who wasn't 200% in favor of him. And that led to the deaths of 200,000 Ugandans. So, and the other thing too, is there was a a self-censorship. There were many people on the payroll of Idi Amin or Kim Jong-il, and you didn't know if your neighbor or friend was an informant and would turn you over to the police if you were talking about overthrowing someone. So that type of chilling effect, I think is what allowed someone like this to stay in power for so long. Yeah, yeah. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll continue our conversation. Again, the book we're talking about, written by my guest, Scott Rank, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers. And it really is fascinating. I know why your podcast is popular. Uh, It's fascinating to learn something about these individuals uh, and the extent to which they went in their, um, their leadership roles Uh, and what we can learn from them in our time. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and I'm continuing my conversation with Scott Rank. He is the author of History's Most Insane Rulers. and It is a fascinating book, giving us the history of nine individuals that you probably would have a hard time uh, believing held positions of power. Uh, But there's a lot to be learned from history, and certainly these nine insane leaders have something to teach us 
uh, as well. Uh, let me um, focus on some of these individuals that you highlight in the book. Um, uh, King Charles VI of France, he thought he was made of glass. Tell us a little bit about him um, <laughs> that might help us to understand the uh, havoc he, um, he brought to his people. Yeah, that's an interesting one. So like you said, he thought he was made of glass. And he told his advisors that you have to tiptoe when you come toward me or I might shatter. And he wouldn't take a bath because, again, he thought that he might shatter and break into pieces. Now, why did he believe that? Um, for the same reason that people claim alien abductions today. And what I mean is, um, at that time in the Middle Ages, the analogy of glass was used by preachers and priests to say, you need to be holy and clean like glass. And those who heard that message might have listen to it a little too carefully. Maybe there's self-hypnosis, there's delusion. You, you begin to believe that you really are made of glass. What I meant by the alien abduction is people didn't claim they were abducted until about the 1950s when Hollywood B-movies started to come out with aliens in them. And people saw them, and due to disassociation from reality, they may have thought that actually happened to them. So that's what happened to him, and France almost completely fell apart when it was under his reign. So not a good situation. And he presumably inherited his position and could not be removed. Right. That's a, a difference between the past and today. When you had a dynasty, you want one of your offspring to be on the throne, even if they're really not cut out for it, because then your whole dynasty falls apart. Another example was um, an Ottoman Sultan, Ibrahim, who um, practiced archery on people in his palace. I mean, he would shoot bows and arrow, would shoot arrows at them. And we don't have dynasties today, except for maybe the exception of North Korea um, and the royalty we have don't really have any power. But that was the motivation of the past, that you need someone in your line on the throne or your dynasty falls apart and we will put anyone there. You know, we'll try to have someone who will basically rule through them and hopefully they'll only be a puppet and won't cause too many problems. But sometimes they couldn't be controlled and that's how things got out of hand. What about Emperor Caligula? He built temples to himself. He made his horse a senator. He marched his armies all the way to Britain for no reason. He built a bridge um, that uh, he rode over back and forth. He pushed some of the people who had come to witness this display over into the river. As many of them drowned. Tell us a little bit about this Roman Emperor Caligula and what it might have been like to live under this kind of ruler. Definitely not pleasant, that's for sure. And when I was talking about people who are disconnected from reality and start to believe that they're divine, Caligula is it. He's an emperor after Augustus when emperors uh, start to accept worship from people. Uh, you mentioned a lot of the things. He pointed his horse senator. Uh, probably something that he did that, according to one source, he may have you know, bankrupted Rome or uh, triggered a famine. He, uh, an astrologer said that there's no way you could become emperor. You had just, uh, just as much of a chance as becoming one as crossing this gulf that's near Naples that's three miles long. So he has a bunch of pontoon or a boat set up and has a bridge constructed along this gulf and rides back and forth on his horse. And so many boats have to be used to make this bridge that they can't get grain from other ports in Egypt and it triggers a famine. So you think, why does he do this? And if it really did happen, um, somehow thinking that proving that he's this divine status is good for the Roman uh, Empire because that's such a great ruler. So in his mind, somehow it made sense. And it's scary to think that someone like that could come to power. Yeah, not only come to power, but remain in power. Yeah, uh, exactly. Write, it's, um, yeah. 
You write about yeah, Liberius. Yeah, he was assassinated a few years, but then he was taken out. So there's an end yeah, there. <laughs> there is that. <laughs> Bavaria's mad king, uh, Ludwig II, um, he built himself a fabulous fairy tale castle in the 1800s. Um, he had imaginary friends. He loved to take uh, dangerously high-speed midnight sleigh rides through the Alps, uh, even in blizzards. What's his story? Well, if you have uh, seen pictures of Bavaria in southern Germany, you've definitely seen Neuschwanstein Castle, which is the inspiration for Disney World. And mm-hmm. you've done puzzles. You'll see that picture. Ludwig used his family's wealth to build these fairy tale like castles, even though it's the 1800s and castles are completely useless for any reason. He is someone that um, he was much more harmless than a lot of these people. He didn't have people killed. He didn't trigger any famines or anything. He squandered Bavaria's wealth, but you could say he left a legacy because any Frommer's Guide for uh, Germany will take you toward his castles. He was a patron of Richard Wagner, so we have his operas because of Ludwig's patronage. He was a dreamer, and people didn't like him, so that's why he was kicked out of power because he was so terrible with money. But you know, a lot of great works of art were commissioned by patrons that may not have been as good with their money, so... There's anyone who's left a good legacy behind, I would say that it's him. Hmm. Um, there are two contemporaries, um, President Idi Amin of Uganda and Supreme Leader Kim Jong-il of North Korea. We know a little bit of their history if we've been paying attention. Um, similarities, dissimilarities between the two of them who had visions of grandeur in terms of their their personal worth and value and their leadership styles? Yeah, the uh, Idi Amin is... I would say one of the worst of the lot, just because yes. of how sadistic he was. He personally mutilated people, tortured them. You can watch the film Last King of Scotland to get an idea of this. Oh, yes. um, he was so he was celebrated in the beginning because uh, this is when Uganda first gained its independence. He was the second president. Uh, he would mock Great Britain and sent them a boatload full of bananas as a way of thanking them for the days of colonialism. But... Um, when I mentioned earlier the, the fear that people had because an enormous informant network of him, his was set up, there were maybe ten or 20,000 people on his payroll, 200,000 people died in his torture chambers, and um, Uganda was set back for decades. Its economy was ruined. And with Kim Jong-il, it's usually an exaggeration to compare a country to 1984. But in his case, that almost seems to come true, mm-hmm. where his picture and his father's picture were required to people in everyone's houses. There's a pledge of loyalty. It sounds like you're saying catechism um, in a church. It's, and he seemed to think that I am the embodiment of the will of the Korean people. So when people are praising me and essentially worshiping me, it's good for Korea and it strengthens Korea and seemed to really think that what he was saying was good for it. Um, But it, North Korea was completely impoverished and people starved. There was a horrible famine in the 90s, um, mostly because of his self-isolation, um, mostly because um, there wasn't trade allowed with the outside world. Um, it was completely self-inflicted, and um, whatever he thought he was trying to do for the good of the people really did turn it into a 1984 situation. Yeah, yeah. There are historians who have argued that there's a connection between genius and madness. Um, your thoughts on that? And are we talking about idiot savants who somehow in their insanity have certain elements of genius? Well, um, I'd say that 
dealing with mental illness, it obviously doesn't make someone evil. I mean, millions of people suffer Correct. depression. doesn't make them a bad person at all. In fact, um, there's an argument that some of the greatest leaders we've ever had, like Abraham Lincoln, Winston Churchill, Martin Luther King Jr., all of whom suffered from depression, but it was that inner struggle which they won allowed them to deal with outer struggles. And it's um, not so much mental illness that uh, makes you a bad person, but it reveals your true nature. So if you are uh, an innately evil person, then mental illness removes all the governors that you have, and you really do go for it. Um, And then on the flip side, too, people who were um, able to accomplish great things. I mean, I think Ludwig with his castles, he left a lasting mark on society. Uh, George III, someone else who struggled with mental illness, but he was a great patron of the arts. He loved Handel, he loved Baroque music, and he supported it, and that's what allowed it to spread throughout England. So he, due to their struggles, they were able to leave some good things behind. So I think that's maybe to their credit, these some of these people in the book and others as well, like the great leaders in history. Yeah. Well, I think people are looking for good material to read during this time of somewhat isolation and sheltering in place. History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, I think, is informative. It's uh, somewhat entertaining, but also it's a cautionary tale. Uh, it's book, uh, published by Regnery History. What do you hope your readers will learn as they look back at these leaders uh, in terms of choosing leaders in the future? I guess I'd say this. Um if there's anything that these people have in common is that they're committing the biggest sin in politics. And that's that they believe their own press and all politicians do this to some degree, but if someone's in power for too long, then they start to believe it so much that it becomes the only thing true to them. That's what happened to the Kim family. That's what happened to others. So it's probably not going to happen to you. You're probably not going to be ruled by this, but just watch out. I mean, if they start to look too much like people like this, then yeah, time to get plane tickets and go elsewhere. (laughs) Absolutely. Hey, thank you so much for joining us, Scott Rank. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. Really appreciate it. Once again, the title of the book, History's Nine Most Insane Rulers, published by Regnery History. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and we will be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, during this pandemic and following, Americans are probably going to spend the rest of their days arguing about whether the nationwide shutdown was worth it, the cost in lost jobs, closed businesses, uh, depleting life savings is unparalleled, will probably take many years to fully recover from. I'm not sure I'll ever be able to actually retire now. I haven't really looked at my 401k, but I have my suspicions. Calls to suicide hotlines are increasing. Potentially preventable deaths from heart attacks and strokes may be rising as people remain reluctant to go to the hospital because they're scared to catch the virus. Children's vaccinations are being put off. State and local budgets are wrecked. But our collective sacrifice has also generated some advantages in the fight against the pandemic, and that's worth noting as well. So what do we do in the midst of all of this? I made reference to Louis Giglio's uh, piece in Christianity Today before, but I think it bears uh, repeating uh, what, uh, what he encourages us to do. He points out that when the Old Testament King Jehoshaphat received word that three armies had conspired together and were coming against him in one massive assault, He made a decisive and unconventional leadership move. Every leader around the globe is in a similar predicament. Faced with the three-pronged advance of global health pandemic, the world economy that comes to a screeching halt, and the personal crisis of anxiety and fear, 
What can we learn from the ancient leaders, leader rather, that's applicable today? Well, the odds weren't good for Jehoshaphat, and honestly, they aren't that great for a lot of families and businesses right now. Deep down, most leaders who have weathered brutal storms know that we'll get through it. We always do. We will endure the carnage and emerge from the the depths to grow and prosper again. But that's going to take some time, a long time. Right now, we're in the valley of the shadow of death, and it seems um, ominous and maybe insurmountable. Although you don't surmount a valley anyway, mixing metaphors there. So how do we uh, how do we lead through these dark hours? Look at Jehoshaphat. He suggests first he called the people to seek God. The king prayed this transformational twelve word prayer. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't all have the liberty to corporately call our people to seek God, but every leader does have the opportunity to privately seek heaven's help before leading others into the fray. By nature, leaders are confident, skilled, and battle-tested. So often, we roll out the uh, roll out of bed and start leading the charge. It's easy to wake up, survey the landscape, and immediately focus on solving problems, creating opportunities, and marshalling the troops. Yet, ultimately, any leader is only as durable as the humility that undergirds them, the humility that drives them to first seek help from the Lord. The hallmark of every great leader is the ability to lead oneself. This means facing your limitations and leaning on your maker. We lead best by allowing God to lead us. Some object, you can't be humble in my line of work. You can never show weakness or people will run right over you. Well, humility doesn't equate to weakness. Rather, it's where we find our strength. Or better yet, humility is the place we access God's supply. Hurricane force winds require exceptional leadership, Leadership that begins with this plea, God, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. It's not always prudent to lead a shareholder call or staff meeting with this confession, but people are looking for stability in their leaders and are counting on us to project confidence in worst case scenarios like we face today. But that doesn't hinder us from privately staying tethered to the reality that we are completely dependent on God. It doesn't hurt to say it either once in a while to our closest team either. This posture of humility is essential because it positions us for supernatural assistance. A word came to the king and a battle plan was set in motion. Jehoshaphat was told, you will not have to fight this battle. Take up your positions, stand firm and see the deliverance of the Lord, the deliverance he will give you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Go out to face them tomorrow and the Lord will be with you. Second Chronicles 2017. God isn't asking you to over-spiritualize your situation. Hey, guys, we're just going to trust God with our enterprise and see what happens. Sit back and relax. Check out all the active verbs. Take up your position, stand firm, look, go out, and face them, referring in this case, Jehoshaphat is called to face the enemy. Yet as you go, keep the oxygen of God's supernatural supply flowing in your every breath. In his spirit power, you can find the power to do what Jehoshaphat did next. He set out, he stood up, and he spoke. Set out in faith that God is with you. Stand up on the rock of ages. Speak with authority because God will not fail. Then Jehoshaphat did one final thing before heading into the battle. He praised God. The king thanked God in advance for the victory God had already promised. With God's help, Jehoshaphat and his army experienced God's deliverance in the battle. And the same way, God is going to deliver you. Dear God, I lift up my eyes to you. 
please disrupt my false sense of control and my overblown confidence in my own abilities. I humbly bow and ask for your supernatural strength, wisdom, and courage so I can endure these days and lead myself and others with faith for the future. My daily prayer will be, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you. Lead me and use me as an agent for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. We often think about leaders as being the pastors, the elders, those who hold titled positions in the body of Christ. But it certainly also applies to parents, moms and dads who are spending more time with their sons and daughters than perhaps ever before. It may be that you're leading in other ways. And what a tremendous scripture to recall when we think about the uncertainty of the time that we find ourselves in and the resource that we have in the God who invites us into his presence. So I hope this weekend, as we are settling into our new normal, sheltering in place with some slight openings in some areas, that we are reminded that we may not know what to do, but our eyes can always stay focused on him and he will lead and guide us, that he can be trusted. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our deliverer. He is a mighty tower. He shelters us in his wings. And we can take a deep sigh of relief that even though we, everything, everything is in his hands. I want to remind you that um, Christian News Northwest, which is a staple here in this area, is continuing to be produced only online these days until um, the distribution sites in Oregon and southwest Washington are open up. Uh, they're going to be providing uh, Christian News Northwest online. So you're going to find the May issue of Christian News Northwest available online, and that is at cnnw.com, cnnw.com, Christian News Northwest, the May issue now available online. Also, I wanted to remind you that if you hadn't already heard, Gospel Sing Live has been postponed, and I'm so grateful to be able to use the word postponed because that means uh, it's been rescheduled so that we fully anticipate that in 2021, we're going to hold Gospel Sing, and with the same artists that you had expected to hear from in the year 2020, Mark Lowry and Greater Vision. Now, if you've already purchased your Gospel Sing tickets, I want you to know that uh, you're going to receive an email that will clarify what to do next, so um, keep your eyes and ears open for that. Well, we are out of time. I want to thank James Blend for producing, Clark Hilton for engineering, and Dan Rice for the use of his office. And thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. I hope you have a great, a great weekend. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ.